Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle, huddle, up, huddle, up, huddle up. on Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Giants Huddle Podcast brought to you by PSENG, energy efficiency for game time and anytime. Visit PSEG.com slash Giants for discounts, rebates, and home energy assessments. In today's Giants huddle is Field Yates from ESPN. You'll see him on NFL Live. There are various other NFL coverage. And, of course, he plays the role of Mills Lane on first draft between Kuiper and McShay on ESPN's draft podcast. Say you're a little older, Field. You get the Mills Lane reference. I, I feel our younger viewers have no idea who Mills Lane is. You know what? That's what Wikipedia is for, right, John? Let's get it on. All right, let's go. Um, all right, so let's talk some draft here. You have a chance to talk to to, to Mel and Todd you know, every week on first first draft, and you kind of hear from them and through them what the NFL is thinking compared to maybe what the media and the consensus is thinking. So yeah. as you've spoken to them over the past couple of weeks, and we've had more of these pro days, we've gone through the combine and the senior bowl, what were some of the players that you've sensed some movement from in terms of how maybe the league has shifted their thinking as opposed to what the consensus is from the media folks? All right, so I'll give you a few names, but I will start by saying this, is that it's been really interesting to hear the value that Mel Kuyper might place on a pro day as opposed to Todd McShay. You mean no value at all for Mel? <laughs> Mel has absolutely no value. They mean nothing whatsoever. It's a complete waste of time. Uh, it's This is like, you know, it's like quarterbacks become show ponies for these uh, for these pro days, right? Uh, you know, Todd, who actually made, who was actually at the three pro days of note uh, the week prior to the conversation when you and I, you, were having, you and I are having right now, uh, in succession, it was Ohio State, Alabama, and then Kentucky for C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and then Will Levis, respectively. He likes to take note of not just what takes place on the field, which, of course, is the perfect atmosphere for the quarterbacks to throw, but also who was there. Like, are, are teams that have an obvious quarterback need there or not there? Is it the GM? Is it an area scout? Is it one coach? Is it five coaches? Is the owner there, as was the case with the Carolina Panthers at those three pro days? Is there a private dinner or dinners the night before? All this sort of stuff that you won't see on the camera that might be a little tiny bit of context that can help us as we get closer and closer uh, to the next stages of the NFL pre-draft evaluation process. But a couple of names that I have sensed, especially from Mel, are moving up. I'll give you two. And I think that um, I always want to be careful in saying that these guys are moving up or moving down because I'm viewing it through their prism and someone else who's listening to this or is a huge traffic, maybe saying like, I've been on that guy or off that guy for weeks or months, but two names that I think I've seen some variants on one is Will McDonald, the fourth from Iowa state who slid to 24 in Mel's most recent recent mock. He was previously eighth overall to the Atlanta Falcons. And 
That's a slide, but I think it's actually not reflective of how Mel views him. I think Mel feels as though he is a first-round lock, or at least close to it, while some others have not been as, uh, I would say, steadfast in their belief that Will McDonough the fourth is going to be a first-round pick. He had not necessarily a dominant year in terms of sack production this past season at Iowa State. But has good traits, more linear, sort of wiry, strong guy. Uh, but you need a lot of pass rushers in the NFL, and this edge class is considered fairly deep. And then the other one is Emmanuel Forbes, who I feel like every time I talk to Mel, he gets more and more bullish on the Mississippi State cornerback. His tape's great, man. His tape's awesome. Great. Yeah, 14 picks over the past three seasons. He is a super his, his tremendous on-ball production is just the stuff that catches your eyes. Uh, but the problem with Emmanuel Forbes, if there is a problem, is 166 pounds at the combine. And usually at the combine, if you're a skinny guy, you're trying to get bigger. If you're a big guy, you're trying to get leaner. So the big guys tend to be a little bit leaner than they actually are. And the skinny guys tend to be a bit heavier than they actually are. So if Emmanuel Forbes is 166 pounds when he's put on weight, that could like, uh, that's a stick figure for the NFL, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. But I will say, didn't really impact him during his college playing days. I don't know the coverage. I'm sorry. Tackling was a liability for Emmanuel Forbes, but um, I think he's got a chance to be a first round cornerback. I'd argue that I know everybody talks about the tight end depth, but cornerback class may be the most intriguing to me in this year's group, just because I do think there's like four or five guys who in most years are going in the first round. It's not just because of how the other positions are filled this season. All right, we kind of just talked about two guys in size, right? Well, McDonald, a little bit of a uh, McDonald, a little bit of an undersized edge. And then you have Forbes, who's an undersized cornerback. Two defensive tackles who I think are interesting. And I wonder what order they're going to go in on draft day. Because right yeah. now, there's a group that think Kalijah Kansi is a top 15, top 20 pick. Yep. And then there's another group that thinks, all right, maybe front end of the second round. Then you have the Northwestern kid at a Tomaway at a Barre. Yeah. who has really come on strong in the post-draft process. Maybe his tape, not first-round tape, but he's blown it out of the water with the testing, the interviews, and all that stuff. How do you think those two guys are going to fall here? Are they going to break into the top 20? Will both go in the first round? One, neither. From what you're hearing from Mel and Todd, and just your take, too, being someone that obviously you know has, has worked in the league and, and studied tape, think of those two guys and how they're going to translate into the NFL. I think Adetamo Adabare, which is a difficult name to say, but I feel like uh, as it's almost like practice for me getting closer and closer to the draft, right? And it's he's a great player. Um, I thought is the problem with when you're watching Northwestern uh, is that like there are weeks in which they are competitive and they have often played above their their, their overall talent level would suggest. This year was kind of a down season though, and so some of the games in which they kind of just get wiped out, you're like, how much can you really take? from that player's tape on a game or in a game in which, you know, the other players on the roster didn't really give him much in the way of support, but held up well against Ohio state. And both of those players, as you mentioned, undersized defensive tackles, which, you know, the problem when you try to compare these guys to someone like Aaron Donald is that like the outlier should never be the baseline, but yeah, it's one of one. Donald right? is yeah. one of one. It's, it's inspiration though, right? It gives you a, sort of the idea, the concept, like, hey, just because he's not 6'4", it doesn't mean that he can't succeed in the NFL. Leverage is always going to be a great strength for them, and the athletic skills for both of these guys are off the charts. Like, we can debate the merits of 4'4", 940s for a 282 282 pound defensive tackle. It does reflect that the guy's an excellent athlete who is, you know, going to give you his all, not just because he has to, but because he's got the athletic skills to turn, like, a chase down into like a negative play 
or a potential sack on, you know, a quarterback trying to break the pocket. So um, I think probably in the case of both these players, it might be that they're a little more scheme specific than other defensive tackles who might be in the first round conversation. Um, you know, Jalen Carter is a whole different conversation because of some of the recent leak because of the recent legal issue. But I don't know that there is a team that would say to itself, you know what, just based off the football side of it, we can't use a Jalen Carter. Whereas undersized defensive tackles, you have to have the right scheme fit to maximize what they bring to the table. All right, let's lock in here. The Giants are picking a 25 field, and I happen to agree with both Todd and Mel, who with you on, on the podcast, have yeah. talked about there really aren't as many first-round grades in this draft as you will have in a normal draft. 15, yep. maybe, maybe, maybe less. You know, people don't like to say that, but, you know, Giant fans, I've been trying to warn them, look, you might be getting what's normally a second-round graded player at 25 in the first round here. Um, what's your take in terms of, Guys that could possibly slip to 25, that would be good value. What position group could you find good value in a 25 based on how this thing might fall? Where do you think the Giants might get the best bang for their buck? Taking needs out of it, just talking about talent at 25. Yeah, so first of all, like it's hard to put a direct comparison of how this draft stacks up relative to other drafts because I think you are correct in that like there is not as many blue-chip players this season as there have been in recent drafts. Um so the areas that you keep hearing have depth are edge. We talked about Will McDonald earlier. There are several other guys that will go in the first round as well. I think I, I would presume that Will Anderson from Alabama is the first. Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. The list goes on and on and on. We talked about cornerback, and I would argue again, as I said earlier, like cornerback is the group that the guys will go in the first round and do so not just because of how the rest of the draft class takes shape, but because they're really good players at a position that, of course, really matters. And then the other position is tight end, which I don't know that it's nearly as much of a need anymore for the Giants after the acquisition of Darren Waller. But, you know, I guess if you ever look, we're looking to uh, to augment your offense and you think the player is good enough, like you can never have enough good pass catchers. But it is a deep class at tight end. Where I think it's different, though, is that there isn't a player like Kyle Pitts who I expected to go in the top six or seven picks. He ends up going number four overall. There's not that kind of tight end available. Even a TJ Hawkinson who went eighth overall, like you've had some guys drafted high at the tight end spot. I'm not sure we have that kind of player, but I do think we have good depth at the tight end spot guys who will hear their names in the top 100 picks and have a real shot to start. So those might be the areas where if you're looking for value at 25, you'll get it commensurate with where the player likely belongs on average in the draft. Yeah, I like corner there, Field, and I guess the three guys that I'm thinking are not going to be there, right? Joey Porter Jr., I doubt's getting there. Christian Gonzalez is not going to get there. I would be surprised if Devin Witherspoon gets there unless the testing scares people away, but yeah, I'm with you. So I think the question is, does Deontay Banks get there? And is anyone else you think going to be gone by the time you get to 25? Because I think Banks really matches that Wink Martindale big, long, physical press corner, which is what Wink wants to do if he has the players to do it. Yeah, and I think you're probably right that it's like an Emmanuel Forbes, Deontay Banks are the type of cornerbacks that are probably going to be considered the best available at pick number 25. And you're right, Deontay Banks probably does have some of the Wink Martindale traits. Hold on one second. If someone else to uh, say, come on in, you're fine. Is that okay? Sorry. Yeah, we're all good. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah, this is we're the reality of live here, you know, like you just got to uh, just got to make it happen. So um, I'm interrupting the ESPN makeup room. But yes, I think those are the two cornerbacks that are likely to be considered the best available at pick number 25. I would say, though, that you're right. Like as far as like the ideal Wink Martindale cornerback, 
it's probably not the guy's 166 pounds, right? Like the guy who, <laughs> again, it's not that he played all the time, like 166 pound cornerback, but still like there are some natural limitations as opposed to a guy in Deontay Banks who's got a more conventional frame. Um, but there's actually like, I think that's actually an interesting theme of this year's top cornerback class is that all of them have pretty good length, right? Like Christian Gonzalez, 6'2", 207 pounds. Witherspoon, 6'1", 200 pounds. Like you've got some guys, like there's not a, it's not, bunch of 5'10", 5'11", 185, 190-pound guys, obviously Forbes being the exception in that group of top five cornerbacks. But good physicality from the cornerback group for the most part. So that's why I keep coming back to cornerback is perhaps the position that is the most appropriately valued this year in the draft. One other big need for the Giants field is its center. Right now, they don't have a starting center. The three guys they've talked about over at the owners' meetings of potentially playing center are probably, I would consider them natural guards, Ben Bredesen, Shane Lemieux, Jack Anderson. That All right, we can put him at center. I'm not sure that's what you want. So we know about position value and things like that. Do you think there's a center worthy of the bang for your buck at 25 here with whether it's a Tipman or John Michael Schmitz, or do you think that's more of a trade-down situation if you're looking to grab a center that early? Yeah, so I think John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota is probably the name that comes up the most. Saw him at the Senior Bowl, looked really good, dependable, uh, probably is a center only. And that's the thing that I think, excuse me, uh, is constantly harped on in the draft is when you're taking a guy that high, and if it's 25, then I would say it's a high investment, um, is that do you want a player who is bound to one position? And it sounds good on paper when you can say, hey, he's the next Jason Kelsey. But again, first of all, let's not compare everybody to the outlier, right? Like who not only plays one position and has for his entire career, but also happens to play at an extremely high level. Um, that being said, like, We've seen some recent centers or even guys that haven't been quite as recent who have gone to the back end of the first round. Travis Frederick is always who I think of, who obviously had his yeah. career uh, cut short because of medical issues. But when they had him, the Cowboys were, were were panned for taking him early. And he was awesome for them, right? And like you got six, seven, eight great years of a guy playing center. So uh, if it's enough of a priority, which I think based off of the Giants' current roster construction, it can certainly be considered a high priority. I'm okay with taking a guy who maybe lacks positional versatility if you know you're going to get day one starter and immediate upgrade of what you dealt with this past year and factoring in some of the players like John Feliciano that left in free agency and Nick Gates that left in free agency. Yeah, and, and I know it was an early second-round pick, but I'll throw Creed Humphrey into the mix too, right? He's a guy I'm sure the Chiefs awesome. love him. There were two things came up, coming out of, of college for Creed Humphrey. Two things. One, center only. Two, he's a lefty. He's the only lefty center in the NFL. Hasn't bothered him one bit, right? The guy's established himself as a you know all pro player. So um I get it. It's it's a little bit daunting when you know you can you could take the center who's a sure thing, or you can take the guard who could play left tackle in a minute in a pinch, or he could play center in a pinch. Um, but I'm okay with a guy who's dominant at his one spot. I'm already seeing Giant fans in the comments screaming, John, you haven't asked about wide receivers yet. The Giants need wide receivers. Is this a good wide receiver year at 25? I don't think it's a good wide receiver year one through 10, but could someone get there at 25 that you think is, is worth the bang for the buck? And what guys won't be there at 25 maybe is how the conversation should start. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I have no clue who won't be there because <laughs> while in my, if I were to do a mock draft, it would probably not have Zay Flowers or Jackson Smith and Jigba there. I don't know, right? Like, <clears throat> excuse me. Like, I think that, Zay Flowers might be my favorite player to watch out of the wide receiver just because he's 
you know, small by wide receiver standards and plays big, right? He's a big play threat down the field. He makes acrobatic catches. He's kind of got some dynamo in him, but he's also whatever, 5'10", 5'11", right? He's not six foot two, uh, and ran fast, but not like, you know, four two five faster. I think it was four four two at the combine. So yeah. <clears throat> very good speed, but not exactly like, we're not talking track star speed there. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba ran four five two. you know, sort of depends on whose uh, clock you want to judge uh, at the most recent Ohio State Pro Day, but did not run during the combine, played just a total of three games. And also uh, this past year with a hamstring injury, does a little bit of everything pretty well. Doesn't necessarily do one thing at a level that's like transcendent. So that seems to be the limitation there. <laughs> Excuse me. And then beyond that, you've got wide receivers who I think really it's a taste thing. You know, Quentin Johnston from from TCU is a massive, massive frame. Got a great catch radius, but not necessarily a blazing speed type of guy. And then I think it really is just going to come down to like, is, is it a specific type of player you're looking for right now? Or is it just, I need a wide receiver and we'll make it work based off, no matter who's there. Um, and the I know Giants fans, uh, we you love when you can do the mock draft and it's easy, right? Last year, it was easy to envision a scenario that landed you Kayvon Thibodeau and also Evan Neal, right? There was, two, there was only six picks ahead of the uh, second of the two Giants first round picks. At 25, it's hard. Like anything could happen between one and 24 that like someone could slide way lower than you expected to. Or someone could be taken that just because mock drafters aren't talking about them in a particular light, particular light doesn't mean that the draft, the, the NFL doesn't view that player that way. So it's an interesting one uh, at the wide receiver spot this year for sure. Yeah, and you know you talk about types and and trying to find the, the flavor that you like field, and this <laughs> is where I've struggled with the wide receivers this year. And I'm going to put Quinn Johnson aside because he's the easy answer. The, I wish the Giants needed a slot player, right? Because then it'd be easy. You gotta get all these guys you could choose from. But they have Wanda Robinson, they signed Paris Campbell, they signed yeah. Jamison Crowder, you have Sterling Shepard. Yeah. Four guys that are slot guys, right? All right. right. Now, now I'm looking at the guys that could be there in the first round. Jackson's within Jigba, six foot tall, but all he did at Ohio State was play the slot. We didn't see him play outside. Zay Flowers is five nine. Josh Downs is five nine. Jordan yeah. Addison weighs 173 pounds. So of these guys in that five nine to five eleven range. Put your personnel hat back on for a second. How do you figure out which of these guys you believe and think can be successful outside, even if they don't have that traditional outside size and length, and maybe even in, in Jigba's case, speed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because there are some of it is dependent upon like who you have on your roster and how that player is going to influence the defensive coverage on a play-in and play-out basis. And so there was a trade in the NFC East recently that I thought is kind of reflective of this. The Cowboys acquired Brandon Cooks, who's not a big guy, but has played a lot, not just in the slot, but also on the perimeter. Yep. And part of it's because he does have like a play-big mentality to him in some ways and a good separator, but also part of it is because their best wide receiver is CeeDee Lamb, who dominates from the slot. So if you're the Giants and you're saying – that, hey, Darren Waller is, I think, if I were a defensive coordinator right now, the most dangerous player in the passing game, and I'm excluding Saquon Barkley from this conversation, is Darren Waller. Absolutely. How does that tilt the rest of the defense, right? Is, okay, Darren Waller, is a, he's a tight end. He's a big slot, though, right? Like, there are a handful of guys, you know, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Mike Kosicki, players who are listed as tight ends, who defensive purposes, Mark Andrews, obviously, as well, you're treating them like oversized slot wideouts. And 
how does that influence the rest of the defensive coverage? Because uh, if you've got a dominant tight end slash big slot, plus a bunch of other more traditional slot players, like what does that require from your perimeter wide receiver if you're the Giants? Does it mean that you need a guy who's going to have to consistently beat double teams? Probably not, right? Like you just need a guy who's a good separator as a route runner. So Jordan Addison might be might be your favorite player out of those, right? Addison, who finished his college career at USC after playing a couple of years at Pitt. Really good player in, in both systems. Incredible player. Great route runner. Not a big guy, not a blazing fast guy, but if you're expecting him to kind of always draw one player in coverage, like you might take your chances there. So I do think it's a part, in part scheme and personnel dependent. It's not as simple as just, hey, all things being equal, this guy who might not be big is the best perimeter wide receiver. No, I I think that's a really good point. If you're going to get single coverage, who do you like to separate in those single coverage situations? I think that's a great point. Sure. All right, team building. Saquon Barkley franchise tag. Listening yep. to Joe Shane talk at the owners' meetings, it sounds like the negotiations being reset a little bit as to whether or not he'll get a long-term deal. At what point in a very deep running back class field do you start thinking about perhaps a running back if you're the Giants? Um, I don't think it's until, obviously, day two. Um let me just get the extremely obvious out of the way. Sorry, I've been fighting through this here for a little bit. But no, I uh, appreciate it. It's probably it's probably more of a day three conversation. Round three conversation is what I would say. There's just too much value in the first two rounds. And obviously the Giants can move up, down, et cetera. But the first 60 or so picks sounds like guys that you think should be starters, right? Like I think they should be starters. And if you have a running back from the Giants uh, in the first 60 picks, he's not starting because Saquon Barkley is. So – I think round three and beyond is a reasonable place to look. And with the Giants, what's unique is that, as we know, part of the reason why Saquon played so much last year is because he's Saquon Barkley. But part of it is because they didn't have much depth behind him, right? Like Matt Breida gave him some good snaps, but it wasn't like the Giants were one of those teams that if they wanted to, they could go four deep at running back and give a guy, you know, an occasional 15-touch game. So I don't think depth is a bad idea if you're Joe Sheen right now. I just think that for a team that plays in perhaps the most competitive division in the NFL – an asset allocation mindset has to be in play for the first couple of rounds. And I think that's why you probably look at places like center and wide receiver and more defensive reinforcements continue to pad the depth of the cornerback room with guys that are going to be uh, free agents after next year. And I know that that's really hard sometimes for fans to accept, but as much as the draft is uh, a valuable way to fill the holes remaining for this year, it's a multi-year exercise. It's planning for the next five to 10 years in a perfect scenario. And look what the Eagles do, right? I mean, Cam Jorgens was drafted and the Kobe Dean was drafted last year. Neither <laughs> one of them had to play this year, Jordan Davis, but they're all going, oh, Javon Hargrave's gone. All right, you're in. All right, Isaac Samuel totally. is gone. You're yeah. in. Be both those linebackers. You're in. You have to future-proof. You're absolutely right. Final question, Phil, and I appreciate the time you're fighting through it for me. Give me your pet cat in this draft. Somebody you just love to watch. I know you mentioned Zay Flowers. Doesn't have to uh, be yeah. a first-round pick. Yeah. It could be a late-round pick. Just a guy that, that you love and maybe you wish other people gave a little bit more love to. No, I was going to say Zay Flowers, and here's the reason why. It is a personal thing, too. My wife is a Boston College graduate, and we end up watching a lot of BC football. And unfortunately, this past year, there wasn't a whole lot to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, that's been rough. That, that's been rough. Well, especially this past year. So Zay Flowers is it. Uh, <laughs> I think he plays bigger than than, than his size. Um, this is also a first-round pick, uh, but Devin Witherspoon, probably the most fun cornerback to watch, just because what I like about Devin Witherspoon is that he is completely fearless. Like it's it's as if his soul is made up of 
like a middle linebacker, but his body is a cornerback. He There's is, that play field. Sorry for interrupting. Earlier in the year, he reads that little screen to the running back, and it's like he shot out of a cannon and destroys yeah. the back as soon as you kick. He looks like a linebacker, to your point. I believe it's the first play from scrimmage against Indiana that you're referring to. He comes, I mean, it's a heat-seeking missile. It's an awesome play. It's so fun to watch. Um, and it's reflective of the mentality that he has. So those are the two players that I would, like, put my stamp on right now and say I don't care where they get drafted. Probably not one and two. But if it's a little bit lower than that, I am in on those two players. All right, Phil, tell the folks where they can find you. Anything else that you're up to that you want people to know about? <laughs> yeah, First Draft Podcast. If you enjoy it, check it out every week. It's available not just in podcast form, but we also do a live stream. It's on ESPN's Twitter and Facebook and a bunch of other places as well, YouTube. And then uh, check out our mock draft specials, usually Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. Always a lot of fun. We're breaking down Mel or Todd or Mike Tannenbaum's latest mock draft. Jordan Reed, Matt Miller, a really great roster of NFL draft analysts. So it's a ton of fun. And uh, mock drafts make the world go around in my book. So uh, we look forward to those every single week. Yeah, we had Matt Jordan and Mike out at the, at the Combine. They did a great job. And I know you know, this will probably be aired by the time you guys did it already. So I know you're having the Tannenbaum draft special on Tuesday afternoon. This is going to probably right. be a little bit later than that. Give fans like a little reaction to what you usually get from these Tannenbaum Mac drafts, which are usually not what people are used to seeing. Well, they are Mike Tannenbaum GM draft. So it's not what he thinks will happen. It's what he would do if he were the GM. So uh, be, be prepared for some surprises, including a certain quarterback going fifth overall that is not going fifth overall in other mock drafts. Yeah, it might not be Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. We'll That's correct. I can see. confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> Feel good stuff, man. It was That's nice fun. having you on, and we'll catch up with you down the road. All right. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. That's Field J from ESPN. Plenty more coming up in the Giants Little Podcast. Stay tuned. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.